Today's scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He asked him. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, he told him. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus took up the question and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Liz, for reading that well-known parable. This summer, we are looking at the parables of Jesus. The parables were Jesus's favorite way to teach. He taught in these very short and simple stories that were also very subversive. Subversive in that they were meant to get past and through our defenses and to show us that often our expectations and our understanding of God and His ways need to be challenged and in many ways overturned. Now this parable that we just heard read, the parable of the Good Samaritan, it might be one of the, of the most well-known of all Jesus's parables. And it probably doesn't seem all that subversive or upsetting to you in any way. The phrase Good Samaritan is a part of our cultural vocabulary, and we use it all the time. We use it to describe someone who goes out of his or her way to help another person. So if we see a little spotlight uh, in the news about a story of a Good Samaritan, uh, somebody who did something to help another person, a neighbor in need, uh, usually we'll uh, watch that story, we'll smile, we'll feel all nice and warm inside and say, wow, that was such a nice story. You know, I should be more like that. I should do that more. At first glance, it might seem that this story that Jesus told is just an inspirational tale like this. So, be a good Samaritan is the moral of the story. Now that is partially true, but I hope to show you this morning that there's a lot more going on, that there's a lot more that happens in our hearts when we really hear this parable that might upset us and overturn some of the ways we think about God and expect Him to act. So in, in order to really feel the full impact of this story, we need to know the context who did Jesus tell this story to, 
And why did he tell this story in the first place? Read verse 25 again with me. It says, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. The word test there means to, to trap, to say something that might trap Jesus into saying something or doing something that would expose him. Now, what this means is that Jesus actually told this story to trap someone who was trying to trap him. Now, that's often what happens when we find some of the religious leaders during Jesus's day who uh, tried to test him or trap him into saying something uh, that would reveal uh, something that would show it, Jesus is, is really against uh, the law. He's, he's blaspheming against God. They were doing this all the time, and every time that somebody tried to trap Jesus, what happens? They end up being trapped by him. That's what happens here. You know, it reminds me of uh, playing chess, at least the way that I play chess. When I play chess, usually I think I'm trapping the other person that I'm playing against. Yeah, I'm not very good at chess, just to, to throw that out there. I am not good at chess, so I'm, I'm often so focused on the trap that I think that I am setting for my opponent. And I'm thinking inside, I got him. You know, He's going down, I'm about to say check. And all of a sudden I hear my opponent say to me, checkmate, <laughs> in a way that I didn't even see coming. This lawyer was trying to put Jesus into check, but this story was Jesus's way of putting him into checkmate. You know, Jesus wasn't trapping him in order to prove a point and say, aha, you try to trap me, I'll trap you, aha. You know, he wasn't trying to win an argument. Um, he wasn't trying uh, to one-up this lawyer in a debate. He was trying to trap him in order to win his heart so that he would become someone who genuinely and truly loved his neighbor. So that he would become someone who no longer asks, who is my neighbor, but would be someone who loves his neighbor as himself. So this is a loving checkmate of Jesus. Now, if we're listening to this parable, if we really hear what this parable has to say, Jesus will also put us into checkmate, into a loving checkmate to make us into people who love you might not think this is exactly what you need at this time to be put into checkmate by Jesus, but I hope to show you this morning it is. It's what the world needs. It's what our church needs. It's what your family needs. For you to become someone who more fully loves your neighbor as yourself. Now this question the man asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? You see that question? That is that's the real question. That's the honest question that is underneath so much of what is happening right now all around us in our world. So much of what we're facing right now. We say, who is my neighbor? Is a Republican my neighbor? Is a Democrat my neighbor? Are those who are right wing or left wing, are, are they my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? People of a different race? Who is my neighbor? People who protest? People who protest? Protests? Who is my neighbor? Healthcare professionals? Those who are vulnerable to COVID-19? Who is my neighbor? Those who have lost their jobs and who are afraid for their future? Who is my neighbor? We should be thankful that this man had the honesty to ask this question because it's the question we all ask 
inside, but we are afraid to admit that we do. Jesus answered the question with this story. So are you ready for the checkmate? In this parable, we find four aspects of the commandment to love our neighbor as ourselves. So let's look at each one of these in turn. First, Jesus clearly elevates the call to love. Look at verse 25. An expert in the law, it says, stood up to test Jesus. He said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, how is this a trap? How, how is this a test? The answer is, this lawyer who was an expert in, in the law, the biblical law, he, he thought he already had eternal life. He wasn't really asking an honest question. He thought he already knew the answer. He was trying to trap Jesus. And he expected, like the other religious leaders of the time, for Jesus to say something that would lower the law, that would relax the standard, something that would compromise the law. So they could say, aha, I knew it. I got you. You're spending all this time with sinners and tax collectors and those who are lawbreakers. You don't take the law of God seriously. Your message is here to lower the law and to compromise the law. But what did Jesus say? Jesus asked, what is written in the law? So he had a question for him. How do you read it? Now the law, that word, that shorthand at the time for the Bible, the, the, the entire Old Testament. And calling this man a lawyer uh, didn't, doesn't mean that he's an attorney like the way that we use the word today. He was an expert in the Bible, the biblical law. So when he heard the question, what is written in the law, you know, he could have started listing all the different laws of the Old Testament, all, you know, 600, 700 plus laws. But instead, he summarizes the Bible to its very core, to its heart, to its essence. He says it in verse 27. Here's, here's what the law says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says in verse 28, you've answered correctly. Jesus says, this is the right answer. Then in response to this, he tells the story that not only affirms that this is the right answer, this is what the Bible is all about, but he elevates he raises the call to love higher than anybody would have at his time. And as far as I'm aware, higher than anyone ever has in human history. Jesus tied together a genuine love for God with a love for neighbor that looks like this, that looks like the love in this parable and said the only way we can genuinely say we have this love for God that's real and genuine is if our love looks like the love in this story. I want to pause right here for some thoughts on application. This is the right answer, Jesus says, to what the Bible is about at its heart and at its core. Love God with all we are, love our neighbor as ourselves. This is where we start when we get lost, when we get confused, when we get overwhelmed, when we don't know what to think about things that are going on in our world, or even what we are supposed to do when we're overwhelmed and off track. We come back here to the heart and the essence of it all, the call to love. So with all the complicated issues that we are facing right now, they are big and they are many. The continuing pandemic, politics and the upcoming election, race and the economy, 
with all the deep brokenness that's being revealed in us and around us as we face all the challenges of living in this disrupted world. You know, we can, we, we're all coming to realize we can forget going back to normal anytime soon. We're starting to wonder what is the new normal and we're all coming to the place, this is how I'm feeling, where maybe there is no normal. What is going on? We're so disrupted. Most people that I talk to are feeling overwhelmed. Most people are feeling like they're shutting down. They're feeling stuck. They're so very tired. This parable does something for us that we all need right now. It simplifies and clarifies things for us by bringing us back to the call to love. I imagine you've asked yourself, I have, things like this. How does my faith guide me in this time? What's my response to all that's happening in the world? What does God want me to do? What am I supposed to do? At times, this can be paralyzing. But one of the main points of this story is that the call to love takes precedence and priority over all the other commands of Scripture. It's the heart, the essence. It's the priority. So it is saying to us, don't let politics or labels confuse or complicate things in order to paralyze you, to keep you from loving your neighbor. I know things are complex. Things are very difficult with COVID-19, all the precautions and the masks and the restrictions, what's safe, what's right, with issues about race and all the hurt that has been exposed, with all the complexities, with politics, with the economic need. There is real crisis. What can we do? The call to love our neighbor, Jesus says, that is a place to start. This kind of practical help that Jesus describes, the Good Samaritan providing for the man in need. Friends, this is not a secondary matter. This is the heart of it all for Christians. For Jesus, it is the most important of all the commands. It's not if you have the time, if it's on your heart, if you feel called to show mercy like this. If you are a follower of Jesus, you're called to this kind of love. My Christian friends, this is our calling. Now, the call to love can be simple. It can be clarifying. But it can also become very sentimental and vague. The call to love, who would disagree with that? Sure, that's good. But is it really helpful? Like the priest and the Levite, they might say, yes, Love to neighbor. It's in the Bible. It's in the law. But when it comes time to do it, they walk to the other side. When they saw a situation that called for love, they crossed to the other side. Jesus won't allow the call to love to be vague and sentimental, not just lip service. That's why he told the story. So let's dig more into the parable itself and talk about the scope of love. Second point. At one level... This Bible expert and teacher, he got it right. He got the right answer. Jesus said, you have answered correctly. He agreed with Jesus about the priority of the call to love. But he had a follow-up question, didn't he? It was about the scope of love, the scope of the call to love. And he asked it in verse 29. Who is my neighbor? What a question. Why did he ask that question? What do you think? What was he saying? What was he asking? Isn't the only reason to ask this question in order to exclude some people from the call to love? From the category of neighbor, right? 
If you're excused from loving them, then you can justify yourself. As we learned, that was that was going on inside of this lawyer's heart. And so he could say, I'm accepted because I love these people. I don't have to worry about the, those people out there. Now, how does Jesus answer this question? He tells the parable. Now, this, starting in verse 30, is a very realistic story. I have a few pictures that I want to show you. Uh, it's so realistic that some scholars think that, that Jesus is telling this story based on an actual story that really happened. Now, the road um, from Jerusalem to Jericho. Let's just get a picture of, of that map. It was about 17 miles long. Uh, Jerusalem, there you see the, uh, the journey. Jerusalem was actually 2,700 feet, is 2,700 feet above sea level, down to Jericho, which is 800 feet above sea level. So it's quite a big drop over the course of 17 miles. The areas around the road were not inhabited. It was barren. It, it's like desert with cliffs and gullies all along the road. There are some pictures. I want you to picture this when you hear this story. This is the road the travelers were on. This road was known back in those times as the path of blood. <laughs> That's not a path that I would want to take. Hey, do you want to take the journey down the path of blood? No, thank you. Why was it called that? Well, it was unsafe. It was heavily traveled, but very dangerous because bandits and robbers were all along the way, hiding in these cliffs and in these gullies. So this man is not named. He's not identified. But it's clear he's a fellow Jewish man. Uh, he fell into the hands of robbers. He was stripped. He was beaten. He was left half dead. And so a priest comes along, a priest this is a person who's in the highest and most respected religious position of his time. He comes, he sees the man, and he goes, he passes along the other side. Next comes a Levite, and probably the second uh, greatest revered, uh, second in position in terms of religious respect at the time. The Levite, he sees the man, but he passes on the other side. Who's next? Well, this is where the tension is building. The person, the lawyer, who's hearing this story would expect, everyone would expect at this time, uh, maybe to be a regular Jewish person, a faithful Jewish person to come. But no, Jesus says, it's a Samaritan who came up to him when he saw the man, he had compassion and cared for him. So personally, so thoroughly, his care is described. It's incredible. Now, what's going on with this Samaritan? Who were the Samaritans? You may know. Uh, if uh, you spend time studying the Bible at all, that there was, uh, there was animosity between Jewish people and Samaritan people. Why? What was going on? Well, Samaritans were, were hated. They were considered half-breeds by Jewish people at the time. The history is that when northern Israel was invaded and taken over by the Assyrian Empire back in the 700s B.C., Assyria came, they colonized the area, and it became mixed. It became mi mixed ethnically. They intermarried and had children, and so they were mixed ethnically and racially. They were also mixed religiously. Over time, they ended up building their own temple there in Shechem. So they had their own temple. They had their own version of the Jewish Bible. They said, just the five books are what we go by. There was a very long history of fighting and tension, and hatred. In 9 AD, so when Jesus was alive, a group of Samaritans snuck into the temple. They scattered human bones in the temple to desecrate 
the temple in Jerusalem. For Jews, the word Samaritan was a curse. It was an insult. It was a curse word. When the Jewish leaders really wanted to insult Jesus, what did they call him? Well, in John 8, they were so frustrated and angry with Jesus, they say, aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and demon-possessed? So a Samaritan and demon-possessed were equivalents. Jesus and his disciples in the Gospel of Luke had just passed through the area of Samaria in chapter 9, verses 51 through 56. They were going to pass through on their way to Jerusalem, but this village rejected them, presumably because of their Jewish race and all the hatred they had. Disciples, uh, they said to Jesus, his disciples said, do you want us to call down fire on them to rain down judgment? And Jesus rebuked his disciples. Now, why go over all this history? I think it's very important. We need to understand that this racial and religious tension, this animosity between Samaritans and Jews is a 750 plus year history. It goes back that far. In this parable, Jesus intentionally brings up this 750-plus year tension and issue right out into the open. He brought the issue of race right out into the open in his most important parable on what it means to love our neighbor. Why would he do this? Why? Well, a few things are clear. One is the call to love must confront racism head on. That's what Jesus did here. And two, there is a kind of love that is powerful and strong enough to heal division, mistrust, hurt, and pain and animosity that is caused by race, no matter how long it has existed. 750 plus years. I want to share with you something uh, that I read this week on this topic. It's from what I found to be the most helpful resource on studying the parables. It's by an author named Klein uh, Snodgrass. And so he's got a really colorful name, but this book has been gold and incredible. Uh, so full of, of help and application power. Could you just read this along with me? He says it so well. He's talking about this parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan. We cannot leave this parable without making explicit that it confronts the sin of racism. Christians are as guilty as any of allowing illegitimate boundaries to exist. We must not be quiet about or tolerant of the sin of racism, whether in the United States or Western Europe or that which exists between Palestinians and Israelis. To be silent is to give permission. On the basis of this parable, we must deal with our own racism, but must also seek justice for and offer assistance to those in need, regardless of the group to which they belong. So well said and so challenging. This is at the heart of the message of the parable and the story of the Good Samaritan. See, Jesus told this story so very intentionally to be about someone of one race who was feared, who was seen as a threat, who was seen as a compromiser, who was hated by another race. He saw someone of this other race who was in need, who was hurt, who was vulnerable, and when he saw him, 
He really saw him. And he felt compassion on this man. And then acting with incredible mercy and love on his behalf. He loved him. Jesus is clearly saying to answer the question of who is my neighbor. We cannot ignore, we must acknowledge and address the issue of racial division and prejudice in our own hearts. There's so much we could say about this. But I want to say one more thing. When issues of race arise, some of us want to respond by saying, I don't see race. I've gotten past that. I am, I'm colorblind. I don't see race. I just see people. There's something that is good about this. Because ultimately, this is how God sees us. He sees us as human beings made in his image. Period. But there's also something about this that falls short. That falls very short. You see, Jesus... Look at the way the story is told. Jesus wants this man to say the word Samaritan with respect and honor and dignity and admiration, but the man couldn't. You see at the end, who is the one who proved to be a neighbor to this man? He says, not Samaritan, the one who showed mercy. He couldn't even say the name. To not call him Samaritan. To not call him Samaritan, his, his, his ethnic and racial identity, is not to acknowledge the history and harm that stood between them in order that it might be healed. You see that? I think that's very important. How does the call to love our neighbor, how does it guide us in our present moment? Again, so much we could say, but to begin, it means loving our black neighbors in America, in our country, who have often been passed by on the other side, and often by Christians, and to be people who can see and feel compassion. So then out of that seeing and out of that feeling of compassion, we might see how we can act in love. That's the scope of love. I'm going to move to my third point, the cost of love. So Jesus elevated the call to love the call of love of neighbor in the law higher than anyone ever had. He broadened the scope of love beyond anything anyone had dared to do. And thirdly, in this story, Jesus shows us the cost of love, which is higher than anyone ever taught or lived. Here's where it gets even more practical. It seems to me at this time in our cultural moment, we are not at a loss for words. There are words being spoken all over the place. There are words on Twitter. There are words being posted all over social media. There are words being written. There are statements being given. And I want to say, this is important. Words are important. Speaking the truth about what's happening in our world is vitally important. But this parable says words are not enough. Words are insufficient. Jesus said, you have answered correctly. And the point of this parable is, but the correct answer, all by itself, is not enough. How does the parable end? Go and tell everybody about this conversation. Go and tell everybody about the heart of the law, about how great the call to love is. No. This parable ends with Jesus saying, go and do. Go and do likewise. As First John says, Friends, let us not love in words only, but in deed and in truth. 
Let's look at the three main characters again, just a little bit more closely, the priest and the Levite. What was going on with them? They're likely on their way home. A lot of priests and Levites lived in Jericho, so they were probably uh, traveling back home from their service in the temple. So they were just there in the temple, the heart of their religious life as Jewish people. So they're going down, they see this man on the road, and they say, what? Maybe he's dead. He's described as being half dead. Now the law forbid a priest or a Levite from touching a corpse. And if they did, it was very costly for them to deal with it. They would become unclean. It would cost a lot of time, probably have to go back over to Jerusalem. Financially, they would have to pay the cost for the, the, the sacrifice and to do all the cleansing. Not to mention caring for the man, even professionally. You know, if they still had work to do and tasks to do, they couldn't do them. They would be unclean. They would be removed from service for a season. So let's be honest. Like the priest and the Levite, we can think of a lot of good reasons not to stop and help. You know, you saw the picture of Jericho Road. This is a dangerous road. If you stop and help, who's to say the robbers are not right around the corner? You will get beaten. You will be lying right next to this man half dead on the ground. Maybe this guy's the bad guy. I don't know what he did. Maybe he deserved it. I'm not qualified to help him. Who am I? I, I don't know how to help this guy. I faint at the sight of blood, <laughs> so it's not my job. Someone else will do a better job. All these, say these are good reasons. Might even be true. It's all part of the cost. You know, the Samaritan, when he stopped, it wasn't like he was just out for a leisure walk. You saw the road. This was not a place to go for a hike. He had his own business, but he paid the cost of his time and the interruption to whatever he was doing. He gave up his plan for the day. He wasn't, uh, he wasn't on the road, like we said, for a stroll or a walk. So he had to pay the cost of his lost time, his money, his loved ones wondering what happened to him. He put himself at risk of getting robbed and beaten too. And we see the way that he put the man on his own donkey, walked alongside him, brought him to an inn, made sure he was more than adequately cared for out of his own pocket. What's the message? It's this. There's no angle. There's no way. There's no option to love our neighbor that doesn't involve cost. Love is always costly. This man, as far as the Samaritan knew, was not able to repay him. He didn't get anything out of this. To love our neighbor as ourselves is not possible without cost. Without a cost. We are meant to think about a, a situation, maybe of a, a random person we come across on a road or something like that. That's what the story is about, but it goes far, far beyond that. To love any of our neighbors as ourselves in any way will always come with the cost. I like the way that Henry Nellen says it. It's in your reflection quotes. We'll put it up uh, as a slide here. Henry Nellen said, we, we become neighbors when we are willing to cross the road for one another. There is a lot of road crossing to do. Just want to stop there. That part struck me. There is a lot of road crossing to do. Even in our own homes, we can be living on parallel roads with our spouses and our kids and our family members. 
all around us in a divided world, in a divided country. We can be living in parallel roads. There's a lot of road crossing to do, and that comes at a cost. We're all very busy in our own circles. We have our own people to go to and our own affairs to take care of. But if we could cross the road once in a while and pay attention to what's happening on the other side, we might indeed become neighbors. So this parable is Jesus's answer to the question, who is my neighbor? But it also sets up his own question, doesn't it? He was asked, who is my neighbor? And then he told this parable and he asked a different question altogether. Which of these people proved to be a neighbor to the man in need? It's a very different question, isn't it? Which brings me to my fourth point, the capacity to love. You know, which of these three proved to be the kind of neighbor that I would want? That's the question. Which of these three people is a kind of neighbor I would want? If I was the person who fell into the hands of robbers and was lying half dead on the road, here is the great subversion of the story. Jesus flips the question all around. This is the simple genius <laughs> of Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers. You know, the, the song in his show was not, Who is my neighbor? It was, Won't you be my neighbor? Can I prove to be a neighbor to you? How can we become the people with the capacity to obey the call to love, which Jesus elevated far, far, far greater than anyone ever has? How can we become people who are able to love with the scope of love that Jesus widened far greater to even those we consider our enemies? How can we become people who absorb the cost of love, which is far greater? which is far more than we are prepared to give. It comes down to which person we identify with in the parable. The call to love is higher. The scope of love is wider. Jesus made the cost of love greater. And now at this point, as you're listening to this message and thinking about this parable, you might feel like, wow. I feel guilty. How can I ever be like the Good Samaritan? And friends, guilt, although it might be true, we might need to feel it, guilt will never motivate us to love like this. It will not give us the capacity to love, to follow the call, the scope, and the cost. What will? Kids, I want you to pull out that picture, the second picture. Hopefully you had it printed. Hopefully it's a little bit colored up by now. It's a scene. It shows the passing by priest or Levite. It shows the man on the ground. It shows the Samaritan holding this man in his arms. Question for you about this story. Who was the lawyer supposed to identify with? Who was he in the story? He wasn't the priest. He was a lawyer. He knew that. He wasn't a Levite. He was, he was an expert in the law. And he knew for sure he was not a Samaritan, would have never ever admitted to being that. He expected the third person after the Levite and the priest to be him. To be him. He expected to be the hero of this story. 
But who was he? Where was he? Jesus placed him as the man on the road. This is the trap. This is Jesus' trap of love. He was trying to trap Jesus, and Jesus trapped him. He wasn't the hero of the story. He was in need of a hero. He was in need of rescue, of compassion, of someone who would feel for him and show mercy to him. He was in need of a love that was higher and wider and greater than anything he could ever have conceived of or imagined was possible. The whole point of the parable that Jesus told was to trap this lawyer into seeing, into feeling I could never love like that, like the Samaritan. All who want to justify themselves must be shown this. And the most loving thing for Jesus to do is to show us it is not possible to justify ourselves in order to inherit eternal life. We are the people on the road, beaten, helpless, powerless. This is the condition where sin and the brokenness of the world has left all of us. We are not the heroes in this story. We're in need of a hero, a rescuer, someone who would come, who would cross the barrier, barriers of animosity, barriers of hate, barriers of avoidance, who would cross the road for us. We need that kind of love. And friends, the gospel is that Jesus is the one who has that kind of mercy for us. The word compassion, this was the turning point. This is why the Good Samaritan crossed the other side of the road while the priest and the Levites stayed on their side. Why? He felt compassion. Compassion is the word that's most used to describe Jesus' reaction, his heart reaction to those who are broken, who are sinful those who have reached the dead end of justifying themselves and feel the weight of guilt and feel the impossibility of change. Jesus feels compassion. The word is the word we talked about before. It comes from splankna in guts. His, his inward parts are moved so that he crosses the road and comes to us. Such is the message of the gospel. Jesus has crossed into our world and all of its brokenness. And he's carried us, paying a cost greater than we could ever imagine. Such is the love with which we have been loved. And the most loving thing for Jesus to do is whatever it takes to make us into people who love God with all that we are. And love our neighbor as ourselves. Sometimes he has to put us in checkmate in order to do this. Love like this is not what we do in order to earn eternal life. That's not possible. Love like this is what we need to melt our hearts in order to receive eternal life. We don't know what happened with this man. It's left a mystery. But do you see, do you feel? His heart was moved. This, this Samaritan in the story moved his heart ever so slightly, melted him a little bit. It's the one who showed mercy, he said. It's the power of compassionate, merciful, costly love that changes a heart. And this is the power of the message and the truth of the gospel. 
that that kind of merciful, compassionate, costly love has been given to us freely. Jesus, he took all the debt from our failure to love upon himself, and he gives us freely his loving heart. This is the gospel. This is the power that gives us the capacity to love. So love like this is what we do as a result of having eternal life in Christ. Friends, this story that puts us in checkmate is a story that can transform us to be people who stop asking, who is my neighbor? And start being people who prove to be a neighbor to those who need a neighbor. May the Spirit of God do that work in us. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now, as we think about this very well-known parable, that you would get it into the places in our lives and our hearts where it needs to go. We need to hear this call. And so we so need to hear the scope of the love that we are called to. In many ways, we shrink back from the cost. So, Lord, we do pray, fill us with the capacity, the power, the ability to love, knowing how much we have been loved by you. We fall short. Forgive us, but help us, enable us as a church, as your followers, to love. Even when it's complicated and messy and we don't quite know exactly what to do, help us cross over to the other side and love. Give us opportunities like this and give us the ability to act when those opportunities arise. Thank you that we could say you are good. Your faithful love for us in Christ endures forever. Transform us and change us, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.